Hey, Dan. What up, guy? You're into this fintech. What's all this I'm hearing about Current? You're going to like this guy. Current is a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. Wait a second. Does that mean I don't have to drive to the bank anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I manage an important part of my family's finances from one easy-to-use app. Well, I got to get this app, but where can I learn more? It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to OK Computer. I'm Dan Nathan. I am joined by Dan Niles. He's the founder and portfolio manager of Soturi Funds. Dan, welcome back to the pod. It's my pleasure as always. So Dan, you and I had a great conversation in the start of May. We were taking stock of Q1 tech earnings. We were also just getting a feel for the post-regional banking crisis world that we're all living in. At the time, I think there was probably a fairly decent consensus that some of the palpitations that were caused by the banking crisis were not going to be like going away anytime soon. But we were also in a period where we were starting to see the increased liquidity that came into the economy found its way into the markets, and then found its way into a secular theme, one that you have been focused on, I'm sure, for years and years. But for some reason, equity market participants got really excited about in 2023 because of chat GBT4, and that obviously would be AI. So you and I had a great conversation. I remember we titled it, Tech is a Minefield. That was a quote from you and we're going to get we're going to get to some of the specifics but let's talk about the macro right now because it really feels to get i guess the single stock stuff right some of the secular shifts right it's becoming more important this moment right here right now where rates are the pace in which they've risen some of the headwinds that we see to growth here but also maybe more importantly abroad this is a period of time that i think you gotta have a good sense for the top down give me a sense about how you're thinking about the macro and do you agree with that statement that i just made yeah i 100 agree with that because the the way i think you have to frame this and this is how i think about my positioning because i'm a hedge fund so i have longs i have shorts but I always look at what's the upside to the market, what's the downside. And so the downside to some degree is determined by valuation. And so I look at it and I say, well, when CPI has been between two and 3%, and right now it's at three, if you look at 70 years of history, the S&P multiple is 19 times. Today it's at 21. So that sort of tells you, you get a 10% move lower in multiples pretty easily and which means the stock market would go down about 10%. So what could drive that from your question on macro? I think there's multiple things. I think the biggest one is CPI, people forget, it peaked June a year ago at 9.1%. And CPI is a year-over-year comparison, right? It's been very easy to get lower than expected CPI numbers because you're comping a rapid rise to 9.1%. Now, going forward, the CPI dropped, obviously, from 9.1% all the way down to 3 And so you're going to be comping much more difficult numbers. Why does that matter? The biggest probably single component that feeds into a lot of different measures is oil or energy. And oil was at $67 a barrel, middle of June. It's now over 80. 
And that feeds into all kinds of things like transporting of your food, obviously gasoline prices, heating your home as we get into the winter, et cetera. And so that's going to start seeping into a lot of things. And then the other piece of it is wages. And we've seen this, right? Stock market's worried about what Ford and GM, what's going to happen to their profits and that they're in a dispute with the United Auto Workers that may cost them $80 billion over five years. You've had Spirit Aerosystems looking like it may not survive because they had to negotiate with their unions driving up their own wages by about 80 million. Yellow, obviously, in the trucking industry, issues again after having renegotiated up their uh, wage contracts. So there's a lot of things that tell you wages are going to be strong, and it should be when you have 50% more job openings than people unemployed. So I know everybody's talking about inflation is going to keep dropping. I'm actually kind of worried what's going to happen if inflation starts increasing because of the, the double whammy of energy and wages. And then the final linchpin to that is Japan. Because people tend to forget the fact that Japan's had negative yields for a good portion of time, that's acted as an anchor to global treasury rates. And the 10-year peaked at about 424 back late last year. It's bumping up against those levels. Japan is obviously backing off of yield curve control. They took the top end of the range from 50 basis points to 100. I think by next year, they're going to get out of that completely because of what they're seeing going on. And so all of these things back to the macro has a big impact on stock prices. And the final piece, obviously, is the treasuries having to rebuild their reserves after the debt ceiling fight. So it's a trillion treasury issuances in Q3, 850 billion in Q4. And again, that's just supply coming into the market, which would also tend to push rates higher as opposed to lower. So a lot of stuff there. Haven't obviously gotten into the fundamentals of what happens when you've got 40 million students having to repay student loans after three years of not having to. That'll affect the demand side of the equation the back half of the year. Those things I mentioned, that's what's macro-wise what I'm looking at. Yeah. So, Dan, let's talk about rates, though, for a second here. I think you make a great point. So that coupled with some of the stickiest parts of inflation, which is wages and housing, and, 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 and then, again, just simple math about some of those easy comparisons, right, when you're going to start seeing some of that data look like maybe inflation had bottomed and we might see it pick up a, a little bit into the fall. My question to you is, like, back in 2020, when it became very clear, at least the smart money knew that the Fed was going to have to pivot on their view about inflation. And to do that, they were going to have to take liquidity out of the market, right? Basically get off of that zero interest rate bound and then obviously end quantitative easing. When I guess the smart money figured that out, okay, we saw high valuation tech stocks, SPACs, unprofitable IP. I mean, the list went on and on. Crypto, they all got killed. Okay, they started correcting well before the S&P 500 topped out in the first week of January of 2022. So now I think about everything that you just said, and I say to myself, okay, the market trades at 20 times, whatever, you know what I mean? Like 19, 20, 21 times or something like that. And I say to myself, lots of parts of the market trade below that market multiple, if you think about it, a lot of cyclical stuff and everything like that. So it's the highest valuation stuff has dragged up the overall multiple on the S&P 500. Are we about to see a reset in some of those higher value names? And again, before we get to the specifics of some of the fundamentals of those names, I'm just thinking about it more from a macro trade and thinking about what happened in late 2021 and then carried forward all of 2022 until basically the last few weeks of the year. I think you're absolutely right, Dan, in that 
We've already started to see it happen, but investors have wanted to ignore it. So if you think about it, May 24th is when NVIDIA reported. S&P was around 4,200 at the time, and they came out and raised their next quarter above consensus by over $4 billion or 50% increase to where consensus was. And so since that period of time, you've seen the market absolutely rip higher. NVIDIA is up over 40%. Since then, the S&P is up 9% since then, driven by NASDAQ, which is up even more than that. So that kind of got you to that 4,500 level. Now, then you had companies start to report and no company's stupid, right? They know that if they say AI 50 times on the call, that's good for multiple expansion. But the problem is a lot of companies started to report, and even though they said AI 50 times, they missed, outright missed the revenue. And so we can go through a list of names, but you can look at an Accenture, for example. If you want to get into the more sexy stuff, Fortinet, most recently, people thought things would be great. They're in security. You're supposed to have a lot more threats because of AI-driven attacks on your security structure, and they ended up cutting their numbers. And most recently, if you want to go to NVIDIA-specific, Supermicro, whose stock's been absolutely on fire, they came out, they pre-announced upside to their June quarter, came out beat that, beat revenues by 10%, EPS by 21%. But when they guided, they actually guided below the street by 3% on the revenues and 7% on EPS for the next quarter. And the stock got absolutely hammered the next day, down 23%. And you've seen a lot of other AI-related stuff come out where it hasn't necessarily been an NVIDIA-type quarter. Now, obviously, NVIDIA is coming in a week and a half or so, and so we'll have to see what happens. Nobody doubts it's a beat and raise quarter. The interesting part will be, how does the stock react? Because there's supply constrained. And you heard SMCI talk about that on their call and said, we have a supply problem. That's why the numbers are coming down. But having said that, NVIDIA is not all AI. They have traditional servers they're selling into and other things as well, as do a lot of other companies like TSMC, which is the foundry for NVIDIA. They came out and said, yeah, we think AI is going to grow over 50% a year for the next several years. They cut their numbers for the full year because everything else is growing less. And in the year of efficiency, to borrow a phrase from Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, you may be spending a lot on AI, but you may be cutting your budget in other areas because you've got real pressures on your business. I think that's where, to your point, I'm speculating in the stuff you talked about that is lagged. I'm looking at some of the healthcare stuff. I'm looking at some of the energy stuff, these other areas that aren't sexy, quote unquote, and that haven't gotten all these investment dollars, but whose valuations look reasonable. And I can maybe match that up, hopefully, with some shorts in tech where you've got issues. And even in big cap tech, you've seen a big divergence there. Apple cut the numbers for the June quarter after they cut the numbers for the March quarter. Nobody cared after the March cut. They cared after the June cut. And Google and Facebook may have both beat their estimates, but you had others that didn't. Tesla went down after they reported their quarter. Netflix went down after they reported their quarter. And so you're starting to see some real bifurcation even in the big cap names. Obviously, Amazon had a fantastic quarter, but you, you can even start to split things up in the big caps. And so it's awesome if you're a good stock picker right now, I think, because it's not like you can just throw money at any big cap tech name and it's going to work.
Yeah, no, and I think that is something that's definitely changed in the last month or so as we got into the meat of, of, of mega cap tech earnings. I want to hit on something that you just mentioned. I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of people who see you on CNBC or or other financial news channels, they identify you as a tech investor. I've known you for over 25 years. You were an all-star tech analyst back in the heyday of the dot-com and in our last pod. And I, if you're just coming to this one now and you didn't listen to our May 3rd one, go back and listen to that. That one that was really fascinating listening to Dan reflect on some of the lessons that he learned from that period. But I, it's interesting that you mentioned energy and some of these cyclical stocks because at the end of the last year, they were some of the only ones that were working in energy, right? When you think about that, okay? And so here we are now, tech was the most hated and you had this kind of flip-flop sort of thing right now. Now, again, crude oil was trading, as you said, below $70 about a month and a half ago. It had this big run, despite what we're seeing in China. You mentioned Japan, and we saw that GDP print this morning. And I think it's really interesting when you think about what the Chinese just had to do, right? They're adding stimulus to their market. We're getting deflationary readings there. So talk to me a little bit how you're thinking about cyclicals, how you're thinking about energy with the backdrop of what's going on in China, because I think it's really important again and again, this way we just named a pod yesterday when China sneezes, the world gets a cold, that sort of thing. The world hasn't gotten cold yet though, right? And we're not even paying attention, at least here investors, we still have a 15 and a half VIX, right? But the headlines are stacking up, whether it be commercial real estate, whether it be financial firms, whether it be youth unemployment, whatever it is, it's going on over there, but we're not paying attention just yet. I think the thing people forget is there's always a time lag. So I ate some fish on Friday, felt great. Next morning, I woke up sick as a dog with food poisoning, but it took 24 hours for that to work its way through. If you look at the financial markets, from the time you start raising rates to seeing an impact, is normally about 15 months. We started raising rates in March. So only now should we be starting to see the impact. You don't see it immediately. Same thing with China. China's the biggest consumer in the world of cars, PCs, cell phones, lots of different types of commodities. They reopened after a three-year lockdown due to COVID. We all thought economy should boom just like it did in the US, just like it did in Europe after we got off of our lockdowns, and it hasn't. And that's going to be a problem. It's just, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for that to work its way through people's forecasts and what they're thinking through year end. Now, as it relates to commodities, you have a slightly different thing that you have to look at, which is the following. Because of all the ESG green policies, which are great for the environment, no question, you haven't gotten a lot of drilling permits or mining permits or the ability to really go ahead and pull commodities out of the ground. And so demand may be coming in less than you thought, but the supply side is being severely restricted. And that's why you're seeing, even with China being as horrible as they are, and the second largest consumer of oil on the planet besides the U.S., oil prices going from 67 to low 80s at the same time that over the last month and a half, all of us have gotten more negative on China. And so with commodities, that's what makes it interesting. And we tend to trade commodities, just to be clear. Uranium was one of our picks coming into this year because our view was, look, the world would need more clean energy. And in addition to that, you wanted geopolitical security if you're Europe, which means getting off of dependence on Russian natural gas and or oil. And so it's more of a sleepy play in that it's going to work over a number of years. But you've seen uranium prices starting to pick up and improve and get better. And with the oil, we tend to trade it between this band of 70 to 90. 
or 70 to 80 to be more exact. But, you know, at these levels, some of the plays we had were like, we'll see, let oil come back in again, buy some more. We're looking at some of the stuff like copper and coal and steel and some of these other things. Obviously, the steel stuff's interesting because obviously Cliff is going after U.S. steel right now. But again, we're trying to look outside of the tech sandbox for interesting things that may have gotten beaten up that are interesting plays on the long side. Let's round out the, the macro conversation with just this juxtaposition between at the end of last year or at, at the S&P's lows in around 3,600 in October, the consensus thinking was that there was going to be a recession, at least starting at some time in the first half of 2023, right? And, and at that point with the S&P, it was discounting that and, and backing out some of the biggest contributors to the index. And we know seven stocks back then made up about 25%. They still make up about 25% of the the index, backing those out, most of the stocks, most of the other 450 or whatever stocks were trading at a trough multiple. They were trading at 13 or something like that. So here we are now, we're in the back half of 2023. There's no recession, okay? And the market's not pricing it. The market is basically pricing a no landing. So putting your kind of trader hat on, Dan, a little bit, how, how do you think things shake out over the next few months, especially if we think that China is likely to weigh on us? Also, what you just mentioned, we're at that 18, 19 month period. If you're talking about the lag effect of the starting the rate increases, here we are with Fed funds at five and a half percent or so. Are we likely to start facing some economic headwinds that is going to weigh on the equity market? And might we find ourselves back below that 4,200 level that you mentioned when NVIDIA had that guidance and the market broke out? And might we see a VIX above 20 in the not so distant future, basically pricing in something a little harsher than a no landing scenario? Yeah, I absolutely think so. And I think that the key to some of this is you're going to start student loan repayments, roughly 40 million consumers that are going to have to pay back more than $250 a month starting in October, which is when you start saving for that, let's say in September. So you're going to lap back to school into the holidays. And a lot of these companies count for a lot of sales during the holidays. And Home Depot came out this morning and they said, yeah, we've seen some of the bigger projects put on hold, some of the smaller projects going forward, but, and they still see that environment continuing. And I'm just, I'll be very curious to see what happens when you start the student loan repayment process up again. And so I think the split you're seeing in terms of the haves versus the have-nots is going to get a lot starker towards year end. And the, one of the things I'm finding the most interesting, quite honestly, right now, and I'm trying to think about this as it relates to my longs in Meta and Google, is every single ad agency missed and lowered. Interpublic Group, Omnicom, you run through a little outdoor media, et cetera. You saw the media results out of the big companies like Paramount or Disney. Everybody is seeing ad pressure. So I sit there and I go, okay, but that's Fortune 1000. Google and Facebook are more in the long tail. Do we see a problem with ad spending as it relates to the online economy later? And so that's one of the things percolating in the back of my head. I, I own both Facebook and Google because you got very good growth at a very reasonable price. But it's something I'm certainly sitting there thinking about. And going into the fourth quarter, that's when you have the hockey stick, right? That's when every company is expecting a big pickup in growth, a budget flush, 
retail spending, Santa Claus coming to town, the whole thing, you don't get it, you're going to have a major problem. Walmart and Target come out, obviously, the rest of this week. And so it'll be very interesting to see what they have to say on some of these topics as well, given their size, obviously. Let's hit on something here before we get to some single names and some of the things that have worked for you this year and some of the things that maybe you're a a little kind of nervous about. Last year, the S&P was down more than 20%. The NASDAQ was down more than 30%. Your Satori fund was up on the year. As of now, I think you and I were just chatting. You're up this year. You're obviously getting some things on the macro, right? You are not just a tech long short fund. So you're doing a lot of stock picking also across different sectors. Talk to us a little bit about how you're able to achieve that sort of success in what I think was a very difficult market, if you think about it, because as long as you and I have been in the business, we have not seen the Federal Reserve raise interest rates at the pace in which they have done that. We've seen them lower them. And we've also seen the fact that's not a good thing to be buying equities when they're aggressively lowering rates. But at some point, and we've all gotten conditioned of the fact that they're going to overstay their welcome, right? Like on the downside, when they lower them, and that makes a good investing environment from the long side, is it important to think about like this new paradigm? Because some of the, the smartest folks in the markets are telling us, be prepared for rates to stay higher for longer than you think they're going to. That last statement, if you look at the headline for the Jackson Hole Symposium, which is the gathering of central bankers from around the globe in late August, the title, and I'm going to misquote this because I don't remember exactly, is like structural shifts in the global economy or something like that. Now, what does that mean? I've been saying this for a couple of years, and I've been saying this since 2021, when I was screaming that rates of inflation is going to be a lot higher than people think which is a lot of things that were disinflationary are now becoming inflationary. What do I mean by that? Population growth in emerging markets helped supply a low cost of labor. China had their first shrink in global population in 60 years. So that's gone. Second thing being cheap energy. Well, with ESG, that's gone. And then the final piece being you can put a fab in Arizona, but it's going to cost you twice as much as a fab sitting in Taiwan. So all this onshoring for geopolitical risk reasons, that's gone. So I do wonder if the Fed in late August, when they have the Jackson Hole meeting, talks about some of these structural shifts, because the title certainly makes it very interesting. And then do people have to adjust to, you know what, they're not going to cut rates like we think they're going to, because if you look at the bond market, it's discounting rate cuts later this year. I'm not sure we're going to get it the way people think, especially given our our earlier discussion on wages with all these strikes, et cetera. You can see it being an upward pressure and then energy being upward pressure. Yeah, I do think about that. And if that's the case, then multiples have to go down to discount the fact that rates will be higher for long. Hey, listeners, it's Dan here. I want to tell you about a company that I'm really excited about. It's called Current. It's a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. I'm a new Current customer. It's already helping me and my entire family manage our finances, all from one easy-to-use app. So try Current for yourself and get the app by going to current.com slash OK. That's current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. 
You mentioned some names that sold off after earnings, and we're definitely going to talk about Tesla here because I think this is probably one of the most miscategorized stocks relative to all of those headwinds that we just mentioned as far as growth, as far as um, geopolitical, as far as China's slowdown and deflationary readings. This, this one has it all. We'll get to that in a minute. But Apple and Microsoft, okay, they make up 15% of the S&P 500. Again, just for the, the home gamer here, there's 500 stocks in the S&P 500, and those two make up 15% of it, okay? Five and a half trillion dollars in market cap. They both trade at multiples. They have not traded at at a very long time, about 30 times or something like that. They're both seeing a, a bit of a slowdown. You, you just mentioned that Apple guided revenues down two consecutive quarters. Now, what's interesting to me, and I don't know if you look at charts or not, but these stocks had these near-perfect 45-degree angle rises from their lows, right, late last year or early this year to their recent highs in July. They both topped out the week of July 18th or so. Microsoft introduced the pricing of their co-pilot suite of AI tools. And the next day, there was a Bloomberg article about Apple, how they were scurrying around to come up with some tools, right, like that that they will be able to use to compete with BARD and ChatGPT and some other processes for their productivity suites and, and the like here. Okay, now you and I can both agree that Apple has probably invested billions and billions of dollars in machine learning, right? If you think about what Siri is and everything like that. I don't think Apple had a ton of that pixie dust worked into it, but both of these stocks have come in 10% from their all-time highs. Both of them have broken the uptrend that have been in place at least for nine months or so. And to me, that's something that I think you need to pay attention to when you think about how much heavy lifting them and a handful of other stocks have done over the last, call it nine, 10, 12 months or so. So Dan, talk to me a little bit about those two names and the importance of them breaking down technically at valuation levels that seem relatively rich compared to their expected growth in the next few quarters. Valuations is always tricky because nobody cares until they care. And to your point, because the charts have broken, I've had more people talking about valuation on Apple than I've ever heard in the last probably year because nobody cared when it was going up. They reported March quarter, the June quarter estimates went down. Nobody cared. Your stock keeps rising. They report the June quarter estimates go down. Then all of a sudden people care. Why? Because to some of your point, like the chart's starting to act weird. I think with Apple, there's something just fundamental about it in that estimates are going down. They've now had three quarters in a row where revenues have been down year over year. They guided to a fourth quarter in September where revenues are expected to be down year over year. If you look at fiscal 19 before COVID hit, and supercharged everybody having to work from home and learn from home, their fiscal 19 revenues were down year over year. Four years prior to COVID, global smartphone sales were down year over year for four quarters in a row. So I look at Apple and I hear everybody that says, oh, services. And I'm like, I care about the entire company. You can't just say, look at this one thing, Mrs. Lincoln, and forget about the rest. I think she cares her husband got shot. So I look at Apple and I go, yeah, services is great, but they have everything else. And at the end of the day, the numbers are going down. And to your point, which you brought up earlier, they're trading at a low 30 PE. So you're not getting discounted for any of this risk. And you're going into a fourth quarter when a lot of the consumers that might want to buy their phones are going to have to start paying back student loans. So I think it's a horrible thing 
to be in the name. Maybe the multiple keeps going up and the estimates keep going down. We've seen it before. It's possible. But I think the market, to your point, because the chart looks different, people are focused. Now, one thing I would point out is that historically, right now you should own Apple. And we actually have it long in our fund for no other reason than I'm using it as, as a long against the shorts I have for this simple reason. You go back over 20 years and you look at the, the company a month before they launch a new product, which in this case will be coming up in uh, early September, the stock goes up about 67% of the time with an average gain of over 3% just that one month. Now, why? Because people, for whatever reason, and I stopped, I've learned to stop fighting it. People go, oh my God, Apple's got new products. We got to own it. Even if you look before the VR release, of their mixed reality headsets, the stock did the same exact thing. So for right now, we're renting it, but my plan is to be massively short this name on the other side of that product launch, because I just don't think they're going to make the forecast. And with the chart now broken a little bit and a high PE, you could potentially have a huge problem on the other side going into a Christmas quarter where revenues are normally up 50% or so sequentially. We'll see what it ends up being this year. Now, with Microsoft, it's interesting because they're obviously, they invested $10 billion recently into OpenAI, which produces ChatGPT. But if you look at the quarter itself, their cloud business or intelligent cloud where all of you know, their AI stuff lives, that was actually guided a little bit below the street for the September quarter. Azure, which is more concentrated view of it, revenue growth went from 31% to 27% in the June quarter, and they guided it to 26 to 27, even though AI goes from contributing 1% to growth in June to 2% September, which means that everything else is slowing down faster than that's doing. Amazon, meanwhile, though, they're expecting their AI-related business, Amazon Web Services, to accelerate a little in September. That's why Amazon's one of our biggest longs, and we tweeted about it before they reported the quarter. I like it better because their retail business is so strong, but I think, yeah, I'm not a fan of either Microsoft or Apple for those reasons. I like Microsoft better than Apple. Let me make two points. And, and, and I, I find what you said really interesting about Apple and the expectation of the product launch. And again, their phones are just iterative. I think the most important thing now is they have a, a 2 billion installed base. They have a billion subscribers to services. And I get what you mean about services. Spatial computing is not going to be a thing for them anytime soon. I think wearables will drive services ultimately. But I think the stock probably has 10% downside. And if you just think about a $160 stock and what that does to the multiples, and if you have that start discounting what maybe a better 2024 that stock from 190 down to 160 makes sense to me microsoft same thing i think the way you back out that that sequential growth in ai versus what's going on in the rest of their business if you were to fill in that gap going back to q1 just below 300 again another 10 percent. then you start discounting a lot of this stuff in a secular move that i think you and i could both agree we can be excited about but the uninvaded nature and the enthusiasm and the hype around the things just got really overheated and just like they overshot to the upside, they can do so to the downside. Your Amazon comment is really interesting to me because, and I, I know that you know this, that expectations got so low, right? Like they, for AWS, right? When you think about their expected growth, it was down to low teens, right? And so it was not gonna go much lower that despite some market share losses. And then the other thing is, and you've been following this company for decades now, they do invest. And when they have the ability to show the margins in the retail business, 
investors get really excited about it because it's always discounted. So that made sense in hindsight as a good bet to me. And they obviously are going to have the benefit of some of the excitement in and around AWS and how they deploy some of these sorts of tools. And then the advertising business, which is growing nicely and it's a high margin. The one thing too with Amazon is they may actually benefit if the economy gets tougher because remember what they said on the call is that consumers are trading down. With consumers trading down, their operating profit number for the September quarter went up by over 20%. It's a huge increase. Unlike an Apple where numbers went down, Amazon's numbers went up a ton. And I think earnings at a certain point, maybe we finally reach that point, do matter. And then multiples matter. And so for, for us, we like Facebook and you look at it and AI is really helping the recommendation engine for videos, et cetera. But the stock only trades at about a 23 PE and the market trades at 21 PE. You got Apple and Microsoft trading in the 30s. And quite honestly, with Apple, I look at it and go, why can't this go to a P because you look at the PC stocks, they traded single digit PEs. Now, I remember going through this with Dell in the 2000s, where the stock went from a 20 PE to an 80 PE to a single digit PE as the growth, it went X growth. Guess what? Apple's already X growth. We've had three quarters in a row of no growth. So I know everybody like is bought into this, but if you go back to 2019, the, the smartphone market was already saturated then. That's why you had four down years in a row of smartphone growth. These things never happen in one day, one quarter, even a year. Like with Dell, it took multiple years for that to occur. And I just think when you combine the multiple with the growth, there are a lot more interesting things to go play with. So for us, we're growth at a reasonable price. That's what I, how I like to invest. And everybody has their own style that works for them. But for us, Apple certainly doesn't fit the bill. And with Microsoft, I've got other PC-related or AI related stuff. Like I look at NVIDIA and I go, NVIDIA is not cheap, right? It's trading at a 70 PE, but the top line's growing at over 50%. And I think it's beaten race. So when I combine the PE 70 times divided by 50% revenue growth, it's certainly better than what I'm getting for an Apple at 30 times with no revenue growth. Let's talk about this for a second with NVIDIA. So you have a trillion dollar market cap. We've never had a, a semiconductor company with that market cap trading 25 times sales this year. And again, I, I see what you see as far as the top line growth. I, I just wonder, and this is a stock that I've been trading and, and I've been short. I was not short into that print. I started shorting after. And when I say short, I get short exposure to find my risk through options. I'm not that that dumb, okay? To me, I look at this company and I say, over the last five years, they have done a great job marketing themselves and their graphic chips as the best for crypto mining, for gaming, for data center, for the, every hot thing. They've been at the forefront of it. But the stock has also been very volatile. And I look at that guidance that they gave for this quarter, and if they don't meaningfully beat that, and they are not able to guide something like once they gave that revenue guidance, you saw what happened to fiscal 2024. It's now 11 billion across the board for the rest of the year. OK, so if they can't guide up meaningfully, I worry that the entire market's fate is held in the guidance that this company gives. And I'm just curious. You're 100 percent right. Yeah. right. There's no question. And, and that's why Super Micro, which. A lot of your viewers probably never even heard of. They should go look at it after this webcast because you'll see Supermicro, they have about 52% of their revenues in the most recent quarter was related to AI. They beat EPS by 10%. They beat the pre-announced upside by 10% on the top line, EPS by 21%. They guided 
3% below the street for the top line for September. God help us if NVIDIA, the numbers don't go up a lot. And, and to be very clear, we're probably not going to be in NVIDIA the day they report because the upside versus the downside, when everybody on the planet knows that it's a monster beat and raise quarter, what if there's some hiccup somewhere? Traditional servers, by the way, traditional servers, which NVIDIA also sells into, which is still 80%, more than 80%, but 85% of total servers are not AI servers. And we know that there's some sluggishness in that sector of the market. What if they, the mix of chips is a little off? And don't forget, they're selling a lot of the chips out of inventory because they had a massive inventory correction before this AI thing ever got started, which a lot of people have forgotten. So they're able to sell a lot to generate the revenues out of inventory, but there's only so fast they can increase capacity at a TSMC. So to your point, Dan, yes, you are 100% without a doubt if there's any kind of hiccup or more importantly, what if it is a massive beat and race? And the stock goes down anyway. That's a great point too. Who's left to buy it? So let me just back out this for a second, because I think it's great that you brought up the point about TSMC, because they told us this a few weeks ago. They said the demand for AI does not outstrip the weakness that we are seeing, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, in other end markets. And you've described those other, and Texas Instruments told us that, Qualcomm told us that, and the list goes on and on. I worry, Dan, that there has been so much double and triple ordering, whether it be from the Microsofts, the Teslas, all those companies that mentioned AI and mentioned NVIDIA by name on their conference calls, and then not to mention all the Chinese companies that can't buy them directly, okay, that are buying. So I wonder, in going back to your point, what Mark Zuckerberg said, again, paraphrasing, you may be buying this, but you may do it at the expense of that. I think there is some risk to this story here. And I just think about, again, when they were trading very near a trillion dollar market cap at the end of 2021, they being NVIDIA, it did sell off 77% from those highs here. And it can happen. I'm not saying it's going down 77% from the highs. This one is one of the most unique situations, Dan, on market cap terms that I think you and I have seen in two decades in tech. Would you agree with that? To me, it's about risk-adjusted returns. Like buying Amazon before their print, which was in my social media post, right? We said we're getting long it. We laid out the reasons why. That was easy because for Azure and Microsoft guiding below the street, I was pretty convinced that AWS had done well. And retail, more importantly, which I was really focused on, was going to be way more profitable than people thought. And that's what ended up happening. With NVIDIA, I think today I saw three different analysts raising their estimates for the year and for the quarter. Everybody's on one side of the boat. For me, my general thing is stocks that I really like, if they run a ton into the print, I cut the positions way back because I've been doing this business long enough and I've gotten blown up in more different ways than I care to remember. And so I'm humble enough to know there's always something that can go wrong. And with NVIDIA, I can come with a whole bunch of reasons why they might not have the supply they thought. Maybe they have the wrong mix of chips. They didn't have enough of the higher end, or they didn't have enough of the lower end or something. Or it's just a matter of fact that everybody owns this thing. And when they report, if there's nobody left to drive it up, it just falls. And then everybody starts to go, oh my God, trades at a 70 PE. And you and I both know at some point, this is a semiconductor company. All semiconductor companies get double, triple ordering. And then when that goes away, just like it did for NVIDIA, if you go back a little over a year ago, when they went through a massive inventory correction driven by data center being less than people thought, it's going to happen sometime in 2024. Now, do people start discounting it this year? I don't think so, but you never know. And so for me, 
I own other stuff in the AI, or I will own other stuff in the AI space. As I said, I own NVIDIA right now because I figured guys would be raising numbers into the print, et cetera. We trade around positions just like you do. And so we cut it back. We bought some more back. We got lucky. Obviously, it's had a good couple of days relative to the market. But the day they report, we're probably out of the whole thing. That's a great nuance point, Dan, because Monday morning, Guy and I were taping a podcast at 9 a.m. The stock was trading at 4.04 this morning. The stock was trading. This is on Tuesday. We're recording this into the close was trading at 452. Just do the math on a trillion dollars. So a hundred billion dollars for no reason. And, and the reason is because it had sold off 16%. It was trading at the nice round number of 400, which was a big technical level also. Okay. And it's really the only pure play left, I think, to, you know what I mean, way to play this sort of secular trend, which is going to play out for years, if not 10. But right now, it's just the fascination. It's the shiniest thing. All right, Dan, before you leave, I really want to hit Tesla here, okay? Because a lot of what you said about Apple, I think is really similar to Tesla in many different ways, okay? This is obviously a cult stock led by a cult leader. I think he's lost his shit, to be very frank, over the last year. I could, I wouldn't give that guy 10 bucks to invest. I mean that seriously. Now, granted, I know that he's made a lot of people a lot of money, but if I think about what's gone on with the fundamentals of the company, and I think of what's gone on in China, in a deflationary economy over there, and the amount of price cuts, and the amount of competition, and the issues that they are going to have from a geopolitical standpoint, okay, like I think dealing in that region as we dial up our rhetoric with the Chinese as it relates to what they may or may not do with Taiwan, if there are any nationalistic tendencies that are made to bear on their consumers, okay, this thing's toast when you think about how much of their expected growth is supposed to come from China. And when you think about their market share at less than 10%, which is a very different case than here in North America, where they also are going to have a lot of competition. Okay, I'm just curious what you think about this stock. The stock's down like 22% from its recent highs. They just re reported three consecutive quarters of gross margins that are declining, that are getting very near traditional ice okay, margins, if you think about it here, if there's another margin downgrade, I think this thing's going back to 150. And again, it was trading at $300 just a few weeks ago. I love Elon Musk. I think the guy's a genius. I consider him the Thomas Edison of our generation. We'll have to disagree on that. Having said that, I'm short the stock for all the reasons you just mentioned, because, and, and one other one, which is people finance cars. The cost of financing your car has gone up a tremendous amount over the last 12 months as the Fed's been raising rates. And now with the bank failures you had in March, the lending standards have gone up beyond what the Fed has raised rates by. And obviously, we've seen the Fitch ratings downgrades of U.S. debt. We then saw the Fitch rating downgrades of the banks. We saw this morning them saying we might need to downgrade more banks. And so the cost of buying a Tesla has gone up a lot. At the same time, you brought up all the geopolitical risks. Everything you said, I pretty much agree with. And margins in autos are going down. And more importantly, he has told you that he's willing to make no money on cars to build a big installed base. 
that he can then sell software and a robo-taxi to and everything else. Now, maybe the market lets that happen and it doesn't care about that. Let's be frank, right? Apple's gone up and the number's gone down for six months in a row, right? So I don't know the answer to that. There, obviously, the revenue growth is very strong, but you saw price cuts just recently in China. So I'm short the stock. We added to it a little bit recently, but very well aware this is a cult stock to some degree, but I would say for good reason, because I'm a huge Elon Musk fan. But you can be a fan of the person, you can be a fan of the product and not be a fan of the company itself because of high valuations, declining margins, increasing financing costs for their cars and the geopolitical risk. When China's struggling with their own growth, I would think they would want to favor their own car companies against Tesla. And we do know that they've made Tesla not, Tesla's not drive near government facilities, et cetera. Who knows? what happens in the future if they really get aggressive with this, because China's got issues of their own and they don't really care about Tesla as much as their own car companies. Well, so, let me ask you this. And Dan, I hear this a lot from tech folks, both public, private markets, and a lot of people revere Elon. What do you think would happen, let's say, to the $740 billion market cap if Elon was no longer the CEO of the company? We know the CFO just I left. I think the, Very- stock, the stock would collapse honestly believe that because I can't think of a single guy who's willed into existence an industry. I mean, he's literally willed the EV industry into existence after he took over Tesla. I mean, he didn't found it, obviously, but he bet his entire net worth on this thing. And in this case, we don't hear about all the guys who bet their net worth on things that, that imploded in 2000. He's done it over multiple industries, too, to, to give him a lot of credit, right? Reusable rockets, whoever thought that was possible, right? Boring company, reusable rockets, this, the Neuralink stuff I find really fascinating as we all get older and I've got my own little issues here and there. So I think the things he's done across multiple different industries, you may not like him personally, you may not like his politics, you may not like his tweets and some of the things I certainly don't, but you got to admire him for being an absolute genius. I, I Listen, I, I agree with all that, but well, I think there's a lot of bullshit wrapped up into it. He's human, unless you tell yes. me he's unless you tell me yes. he's not. And so I don't believe he's the same age as me. We went to the same school, supposedly. No one knows him from my graduating class at Penn at 1995. No one actually ever saw him on campus. So like the fact that he's got 10 kids, he's the CEO of one of the largest market cap companies in the world, one of the most important companies in the world, SpaceX, Starlink, Neuralink, Boring Company, X and XAI. I just don't believe that any one human could do all of that. I think that his behavior, he's terminally online and he's demonstrating the fact that he's not a good steward of capital. He is literally in possession of one of the single worst capital market trades in the history of the world, which is Twitter. But Dan, to his credit, you and I have both made over our career some horrible trades. Yes. And and, and you can net that against our good trades. Yeah, no, I listen, I get it. But all I'm saying is that I think as famously as he has created a lot of amazing things and wealth, there is a li- very strong likelihood, in my opinion, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a this or that or whatever, that it could flame out the same way. I don't disagree, but more from a fundamental standpoint of our discussion on Tesla and all the things that are potentially a problem for it. And so from that standpoint, I think we 100% agree because there's a big difference between how this company's PE is relative to a Ford or GM or any traditional car company. But again, right, like back to my Dell analogy, it is going to take a lot of time for that to play out. It's not an event 
It's not a quarter. It's some period of time. And if rates are higher for longer and China's still struggling, which is their second most important market, yeah, the multiple over time is likely to compress because as you rightly pointed out, auto margins have been coming down. Listen, and that's why I started that discussion with what do you think would happen if he's not there? I just think it's important that some investors who just drink the Kool-Aid as it relates to what's going on with them, they understand that there's probably hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap that's part of this cult of personalities. And I appreciate you pushing back on it because I, I'm out there. I say this sort of stuff a lot. I don't feel good about saying it, but he's the sort of guy who punches down all the time. And I think he's the sort of, he needs to be like matched in my opinion. So again, well, I'm not I, asking I, you to I, agree. This, this is what I would tell you. I'm an immigrant to this country. You know, I went to an all white high school. It was not fun, <laughs> especially when you're the valedictorian. And I think he's getting some back of his own because he didn't have a good childhood growing up either. And so you may agree with it. You may not agree with it. But the good news is you don't need to own his stocks, right? You don't need to invest with them if you don't want to. So nobody's putting a gun to your head. And so from my perspective, I'm willing to cut him a lot of slack. Do I, I don't like some of what he does when he punches down, to your point. And I get that. But a lot of people punch down on him growing up and those scars run deep. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that, no, listen, that, that's and, all and, I would tell you. And I, I, I respect that opinion. I'll just say this, that I think what's gone on in the last year is that a lot of folks are exiting the Elon Musk trades. They are getting off Twitter or X. They are not buying Teslas if they're inclined to buy an EV. And I think that as the consumer relating sort of things, I think he is going to find out, or I think he's starting to find out that his behavior actually has ramifications. He's the sort of guy who has operated that the rules don't apply to him. The SEC tried to put some shackles on him, that sort of thing. He bought the company. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you know, but, but this is what I would tell you. Thank God he didn't believe the rules applied to him. Because if he did, he would have never started SpaceX or Tesla. Nobody in their right mind would ever get into those two industries. They're capital intensive with entrenched competitors that are going to kill you. And he somehow made it work. It's the other side of that coin of thinking the rules don't apply to you is why he's been successful. The funny thing is you and I both have the same opinion on the stock. We're just disagreeing on the person. All right, so can I ask you one one last question? And I appreciate all that pu pu pushback. And I actually agree with a lot of what you have to say. I'm just like, I, I just have a, I, so, so let me ask you this. Is there a price in Tesla you know, where you turn around the short and go long, because as much as you admire the man. We, we and, got, and We got long actually late last year after not being involved with the stock for the prior two years on the long side, because I looked at it and I was like, I think this is discounting a lot of bad things. Now, in my stupidity <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, after it started to obviously climb that and a whole bunch of other names. We got rid of it, clearly in hindsight, based on what happened with market multiples across the board, we should have stayed long it. But yes, the answer is in the tech industry, what I've learned the hard way is that the best technologies went out. Back to this discussion, you think back to the 1990s, right? Oh, who's the king in cell phones? It's Nokia first, then Motorola has the flip phones. Then you get to this company, BlackBerry, who could possibly unseat them? Then there's a company called Apple. Well, you've got Netscape, and before that, AltaVista, and then Yahoo. Who could possibly upend them? And then a Google shows up. MySpace, who's going to up upseat that? There's a company called Facebook that showed up. And you can go, I worked at Digital Equipment Corporation. Who'll get rid of that? Or IBM, who's going to get rid of them? Then comes along Deck. Then comes along Dell. 
So I think the thing with tech is it's a winner take most market and it keeps changing. And so for me, like I'm trying to focus on the guys with the best technology. And it's a long winded way of me saying, I think Tesla has got the best technology. That's why everybody's having getting stuck into using their charger networks. Even. And the fact that they're not unionized, obviously, as we're figuring out what the problems that's going on with GM and Ford right now, it helps them from the cost standpoint as well. And they've got tons of driver data, as we found out in the age of AI, is incredibly important to train all these systems. Yes, I like Elon. I like what he's been able to create. And so at a certain price, as I said earlier, we bought it back after not owning it for a couple of years. I would love to get back involved, but not here. That's why we're short. I hope our listeners enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I really appreciate your time. You were very generous with it. And you are so transparent with your ideas. So follow Dan on Twitter, on LinkedIn. You will see him on CNBC and other financial news networks. I really appreciate you giving us your ideas and your really thoughtful investment process. So I appreciate it. I hope you come back. So Dan Niles of Satori Fund, thanks so much for being on OK Computer. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate being on. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.